Today, with God's help, I'm going to take on a huge task. There's a theme that runs through Scripture about His presence. There's no way that I can exhaust all that is there. But I do believe that there are stepping stones to bring the reality of just how important God's presence is in our life. Every time I stand here now, I'm reminded over and over again of just the challenge of trying to communicate to so many different walks of life. Today we've been privileged to hear God worshipped in more than one native tongue today, which is a common thing here now. To know that God, this gospel has gone around the world and it's done its work, it's changing lives. As Carrie already stated, those of us that don't speak Portuguese, did you not feel the presence of God? Many years ago, I was in Costa Rica, out of Arizona, setting up a mission trip, and the people I was with, anyhow, I was taken into a church building. They were doing some business, and I sat in the back of the sanctuary, just kind of taking it all in. There were six ladies there speaking in their native tongue, Spanish, <clears throat> like Carrie. I didn't understand a word they said, but oh my, the power of the Holy Spirit was in that place, and I just found myself, and I so seldom do this, I just wept like a child. I'm more of a laugher, more than a weeper, but my, I just the presence of God overwhelmed me in that moment. They were praying in the Spirit, and I was getting an understanding of just how God was communicating. So today I want to take a statement from Scripture. It's found in Exodus 32 and 25. It's a statement that Moses makes to the nation, the people group he's responsible for, and he simply asks, who is on the Lord's side? We're going to read from Exodus 33 in just a moment. But it is here that something transformative has happened. The people collectively have sinned an egregious sin. They're not much different than us. How many good things has God done for us? And yet we turn around and fail Him. For this people... They had been set free from bondage. Oh, 400 years of bondage collectively. And here they are, the generation, getting the privilege of escaping that bondage. They now have witnessed the hand of God in so many ways. The manifest presence of God. A pillar of fire protecting them from the greatest amassed army on the planet at that time. God just blowing upon the waters, separating the waters, and they walked across on dry land. You would think, if that happened for me, I'm good, God. You won't ever have to do anything else for me. I'll never fail you again. Well, they failed. Because now as they're in the Sinai and Moses is up meeting with God, he just took a little too much time for them. 
So they took it upon themselves to reach back to that which they were familiar with and molded a golden calf to worship it. You and I read that and we think just how ridiculous that sounds, and yet it happened. And by the time Moses is coming off that mountain, he heard the, the, the laughter, he heard the commotion in the camp, but he knew it wasn't worshiping unto God. And he simply asked him, who's on the Lord's side? That's not too different from each generation. You see, it's every generation. For Joshua's generation, at the end of his years with them, he said, choose you this day whom you will serve. As far as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. There's always that dividing line, that separation. It's no different for us today. It's always presented to us as a nation, as a people, as a family, and as individuals. Here, if you'll stand with me, let's read Exodus 33, 1 through 6. The Lord said to Moses, Depart and go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought up out of the land of Egypt, to the land which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, saying, To your offspring I will give it. You see, God will keep his word. Verse 2, I will send an angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go among you, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stupid people. Oh, excuse me, stiff-necked people. And when the people heard this disastrous word, they mourned, and no one put on his ornaments. For the Lord had said to Moses, Say to the people of Israel, You are a stiff-necked people. If for a single moment I should go up among you, I would consume you. So now take off your ornaments, that I may know what to do with you. Therefore the people of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments from Mount Horeb onward. You may be seated. So here, for those of you that may not know this this testimony, here they have experienced so many things by the hand of God as a people. They've been released from Egyptian bondage. They've traveled over the Red Sea on dry land. And now that same dry riverbed made into a highway would consume the Egyptian army as the waters flooded back upon them. They now come out into Sinai, the desert, but God is sustaining. I mean, daily God is sustaining them. There's at least one and a half million people in a desert, and yet they have water to drink. They have food to eat. There wasn't any Zaxby's or McDonald's on the corners. And yet, in all of this, as now they've had plenty of months out there to recognize the leadership God has established, as Moses is up on the mountain, and they can see the manifest presence of God glowing from that mountain, and yet in their hearts, well, we've got to make our own God. We don't know what's happening up there. And now as Moses comes down, he said, who's on the Lord's side? The Le- Levitical tribe joins with him, and now 3,000 are slain. 
the rest of the people, they've heard this word that we can't miss. Don't, if you missed it, let me make sure that you get it. God is speaking to them as a people. And he said, I've promised this land on the other side of Sinai. It's the promised land. I promised it to Father Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob. I've promised it to their descendants. You're the descendants. I have not forgotten my promises. I will send an angel before you to go in and take up all the groups that are living there now. I've promised it to you. It's mine to give. But there's wars to be fought. I'll let the angel of the Lord do it for you. And I'm going to give you that land. But the difference is I'm not going with you. And then, as God in his justice and honesty says, because if I go with you, you people are going to tick me off and I'm going to kill you one by one. It's kind of a paraphrase, but I'm not too far off. You're stiff-necked, you're stubborn. You've broken my heart. And you're going to keep doing it. That's in your nature. And I'm a holy God. I'll just kill all of you out here. You'll never make it there. So it's better for you that I don't go with you. I'll have the work done before you, and then you're on your own. They're distraught, troubled. The difference is, as prayer was alluded to earlier, now Moses, they're looking, what are we we going to do? What are we going to do? What are we going to do? Moses sets up a tent outside the camp. We call it a tent of meeting. And as God would meet with this man that was in healthy relationship with God, they could see once again the manifested presence of God coming down upon that tent. They would all stay at the opening of their tents just to see it happen. They could hear the voice of God. They could hear Moses also crying out, God, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. I'll let you in on a Randyism. There's been many a time I've worked with God's people and I want to kill them too. I've been pastoring long enough, I can say that. And what I often say in my Randyism, isn't it a wonderful thing that God and Moses didn't have a bad day on the same day? Because we'd be toast. In this case, God in his wrath, and God does have righteous wrath, is ready to eradicate and start all over again. And Moses says, no, give me favor, give me favor, and pour it out upon them. He intercedes for the nation. Give me favor, God, because we don't want these other groups saying, see, that God couldn't take care of him. He killed the Egyptian army, but he had to kill them too. No, God, there's a greater work to be done here. Oh, man, this will preach. That you are greater than the sins of the people. And you can help stiff-necked people. Hallelujah, amen, praise God, thank you, Jesus. How many times will we give up on ourselves? The difference is the presence of God. So let me take you back a few pages in your book to Genesis 4. 
And you'll find that God has created Adam and Eve, as we call them, and they messed up. And now they're out of Eden, but life goes on upon the planet, and they have Cain and Abel, and now we find that it is Cain that brings the first gift to God, but it wasn't his best. God says, no, it's not good enough. Abel came with a presentable gift. Cain got jealous because God liked Abel's offering better than mine. Sounds like church people. Listen to the word. Read it. Let it speak to you. God takes the time to talk to Cain. And he said, paraphrase, you can do better than this. I haven't rejected you. I reject the fact that you didn't give a proper offering. And then these incredible words. Cain... Sin is crouching at the door. Sin comes to your door. And it lurks. And it crouches. And it just sits. And it waits. Oh, you're all happy today. You've been to church. You've been loving on Jesus. I'll wait till tomorrow. One of your co-workers ticks you off. I'll be ready. Come on, preacher. Sin is crouching at the door to every one of us. So who's on the Lord's side? See, it's always a choice. Choose you this day whom you'll serve. That's every day. And the incredible statement is that God puts up with stiff-necked people. He doesn't just say, oh, well, Sarah, she's cute. I'll just let her get by with it. No. Everybody wants to know who Sarah is. Sarah, wave your hand over there. That's my friend over there. Sin crouches at the door, Cain. God interceded for him, gave him the opportunity, and Cain still went out in the field with Abel and killed him anyhow. Felt self-righteous, self-justified. Took it out on Abel. So now we're back to the people. I haven't lost where we are. God says, I'll do all this for you, but I'm not going with you. Moses is still in that tent praying, talking, interceding. Give us favor, God. Give me favor. And makes this incredible statement. God, if you won't go with us, then let us stay where we are. Because your presence is more important than the promised land. Your presence is more important to me and this people than whatever is in that land. Whether it flows with milk or honey or not, we're taking your word for it. But nothing is as important as your presence. 
Yes, we want that promised land. Yes, we want our own land. Yes, we want it to be prosperous. Yes, we want our children to be blessed of the Lord and our grandchildren and the generations after that. But if you're not in it, then it isn't a good trade. Keep us where we are if you won't go with us. Wow. You see, that comes to every one of us fathers. We have to pray for our homes, be a priest of that home. God, you're more important than anything else. Blind ambition can get me a lot of material things, but I want your presence in my life. I want my wife to see it. I want my children to see it. I want my grandchildren to see it. Your presence is more important than anything this world can offer. I know sin's crouching at the door. And it's been sitting there long enough, it's figured me out. It may not be omniscient, but there's plenty of opportunities for old Randy to get stupid enough and stiff-necked enough to let sin just walk right into my house and take over. Ooh, come on, preacher. If you won't go with us. You see... Paul's writing in 2 Thessalonians 1 and 9, and he's talking about the coming of the Lord, the second coming of the Lord. And he talks about his wrath being poured out at that time. God hadn't changed. And he said there'll be a separation. But what we can't miss is they will be cast out from my presence. Let's go back to Cain. After he slew Abel, what does the Bible take the time to share with us? Then Cain walked away from the presence of God into the land of Nod, which means he wandered the rest of his life. In other words, it's obvious that we can exist in life without his presence, but all we do is wander. And ultimately, this decision comes up even when it comes to the final judgment for each one of us. The greatest travesty of the punishment of God and his wrath is we're removed from his presence. You want to know what hell's like? The Bible describes it as a place of great torment, weeping and gnashing of teeth. But according to scripture, the greatest thing of an eternity is to have an eternity without God. Never again to have a reprieve. Never again to have a revival service. Never again to have a prayer that you felt the presence. Never again to experience the presence of God. Pastor, it's a strong word in it. Oh, yeah. But you see, back to, okay, Moses says, if you won't go with us, then we'll stay here. Then the other side of the coin is this. But if you'll go with us. Your presence. Let your presence go with us. Let your presence guide us. Because what Moses said, your presence makes us with distinction. How many spirit-filled people we got in the house? Haven't we always known this? We're not talking about being better than the Baptist or the Methodist. We're not talking about that. 
What we're talking about is people that say, no, I want to live in the Spirit, walk in the Spirit. I want to know the Spirit of God in my, I want the presence of God in my life. I want to be able to feel the presence of God when somebody's right here in my presence praying in another native tongue. I don't understand, but I can still feel the presence of God. To know what it is, uh, you see, the psalmist gets along later on in years. He's learned from these previous stories, and, and he says in Psalms 95, I'm going to come into your presence with thanksgiving. In Psalm 1611, he says, in your presence, there's a fullness of joy. When I get in your presence, everything gets filled to its maximum. When I get in your presence, everything changes. It comes to its zenith. It comes to its ability. It comes to its completion. When I'm in your presence, Lord, I get a knowledge. I get a revelation. I get an understanding. No matter where I am, Lord, that you're there filling my life with your presence. And that is joy. I've been awarded certain things in life that I desired, and it brought me some happiness, but it didn't necessarily bring me joy. But in your presence, there's a fullness of joy. I know what it is to be applauded. I know what it is to have fame. I know what it is to be the most popular guy in the room. And it works for a moment, but Lord, your presence, there's nothing else like this. There's a fullness because, see, again, the psalmist goes on in Psalms 139, and he said, where can I go where your spirit isn't there? Where can I flee from your presence? If I pillow my head in the hell, I find out you've already been there fluffing it up for me. If I ascend to the heavenlies today, that's the abode of God in the first place, and you've allowed me to be seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. In other words, when I go through life, Lord, I know that your presence is the difference maker. And if I get up tomorrow and it's one of them tough days, that doesn't mean that I won't struggle. That doesn't mean that I won't have troubles and tribulations because in this life, that's going to happen. But I know this, you've already conquered the world. As long as I've got you, I'm already made more than a conqueror through Christ who strengthens me. If I go through a living hell today, how many knows what I'm talking about? You've been to divorce courts. You've had your child come and just rebuke you and accuse you of everything in the world. You've been there when your best friend stabbed you in the back. How many has been to hell? If you're visiting, this is who I am, folks. I'm going to keep it real. But where can I go from his presence? In the midst of a living hell in this life, I know his presence can keep me and sustain me and give me knowledge, give me supernatural strength, cause me not to allow sin to be crouching at the door and overtake my heart with bitterness. I'm going to stand in the presence of the Lord and say, I don't know how long the night is, but joy is going to come in the morning. It may take a month of mornings, but joy is coming in the morning. Where can I go? 
If I get into the heavenlies and I'm like, that's really not where I'm comfortable, Lord. I'm not used to popularity. I'm not used to promotion. I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'll fumble it. Maybe I'll blow it. No, I don't have to blow it because you're there. And you'll cause humility to still reign in my life. The presence of God's the difference maker. Oh, I'm not finished yet because that thread keeps going through Scripture. And this king, the greatest king of Israel to this day, King David, is referenced on the day of Pentecost. It is now the Holy Ghost has been poured out on the day of Pentecost. And Peter gets up, this fisherman astounds them. And so let me just have a moment, will you? And tell you about this Jesus that you crucified. Let me tell you how it was prophesied by King David. That because of his presence, there'll be gladness among the people. The same Jesus is the one that David said, I don't know him, but I know one of my descendants will come. And he will rule and he will reign over the people if we will just recognize him. Peter keeps on preaching on that day, and he said, and now you're wanting to know what's happened to all of us, being that it's just 9 o'clock in the morning. You've accused us of being drunk. No, it's just his presence, and that's the difference that it makes in my life. This is that which Joel prophesied. It's the presence of God, and it is being poured out right now in your midst. But here's the good news, Grace Life Church 2024. He said this promise isn't just to you, but it's to your children and those who are afar off. Those in Brazil that are afar off. Guatemala, Honduras, Peru. Ohio. Those of you from all those exotic countries, you have no idea what Ohio's like. Oh, I got I got to tame that brain that's going off right now. <clears throat> I'll just let you marinate in Ohio for a second. (laughs) Paul identified who the afar off was in Ephesians 2. And he promised in Christ those who were afar off now have been drawn near. Let me finish with this. Stand, if you will, please. 